Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 27, 2018, we continue our series titled Ephesians Made Worthy, Walk Worthy. Today's sermon, The Pitfalls of Sex and Idolatry, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Lager out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Enjoy! This morning, we are talking about two things that God designed that people have defiled. Um, We're talking about two good gifts that the Lord has given us that we've used for our own selfish gain and our own greed, and in doing so, we sin. Um, The two things we're talking about this morning, we're talking about sex, and we're talking about idolatry. Uh, I will let you know, our conversation about sex is going to be somewhat candid. It won't cross over the line to inappropriate at any point. Um, but do want to let you know if you'd rather your child not be a part of that discussion, you can bring them to a classroom or something else. If you don't mind, then we'll continue on from here. There's no question that God created people to have sex. Uh, Anatomically, it makes sense. You look at your urges and your desires, and those come from somewhere. Um, God designed sex. He designed it to be experienced and enjoyed inside the confines of a covenant of Christian biblical marriage. But like most good things that God gives us, we've taken a good thing and allowed it to become a God thing, and then it ends up being a bad thing. We use sex in immoral ways. We use sex for our own greedy gain. We use it outside the way God designed it to be used. There's another thing he's created, just possessions, things. We could use um, the theology word stuff. Um, God created stuff, and he's given us stuff. James 1 says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from who? It comes from God. So if you have anything good, where did it come from? It came from God. The issue is we've sought after the gift instead of seeking after the giver. See, God gives us things so that we would enjoy the gift in order to enjoy him all the more. But all too often, uh, we sacrifice the giver and just want the gift. We don't want Jesus. We just want Jesus's stuff. And again, we tiptoe into the boundaries of idolatry. Now, on one hand, this seems like an easy subject to cover, right? Sex and greed, I get it. Don't have sex before you're married. Don't be greedy, period. Let's close in prayer, right? Like that, that's what we want to do. Like surely it can't be that complicated, but here's the deal. God has called us to live Um, differently than the world. And when you look at the church in comparison to the world, the issue is we don't see that big of a difference. Divorce rates, not too different from the church to the rest of the world. Here's a stat I read this week in regard to sex, mainly pornography. The stat said this, that 37% of self-professing Christian men And 7% of self-professing Christian women view pornography at least several times a week. Several. 37% Christian men, 7% Christian women. Now, where are the stats for non-Christian men and non-Christian women? Well, that compares to about 42% of non-Christians and 11% of non-Christian women who say that they view pornography at least several times a week. So are we different than the world? By 5%. Is that enough? No. So we say that we get it, but do we really get it? We say that we understand it. Do we do it? We say we know what the Bible says. Do we live by it? I think when we look at the difference between the church and the way the world lives, we'd see all too often that we don't actually get it and we don't actually 
do it. So this morning, we're going to get help, some help from the Apostle Paul in his message to the church in Ephesus in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, where he's going to dive into the topic of sexual immorality and covetousness, which he calls idolatry. And he's going to give us some helps along the way for, to encourage us to not fall into the same traps. So let me read the text, and then we'll go ahead and pray together. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let's pray. God, this morning we recognize that though it's my voice that's been heard, it's your word that's been spoken, and this morning we submit to the authority of your word in such a way that we believe to disbelieve or disobey what this book says is to disbelieve and disobey God himself. God, this morning, would you help us live by a standard that seems very difficult to just be like you, but God, would we embrace that, would we shoot for that, and would we ask for help from the Holy Spirit in conducting ourselves in the same manner of your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, this morning we ask that you'd come be with us, that you'd open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts and our minds so we can see and understand the things of the Lord. God, in doing so, would you help us apply these things to our lives so that we can go out and glorify you with everything we say and everything that we do. And we ask all of this in Christ's precious name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's start in verse one. You will see in your outline three points on the front. Um, it's kind of the structure of the passage we're going to work through. And on the back, you've got some application, which we'll work through at the end. The first thing we see is the personal example of Jesus Christ. The personal example of Jesus Christ. How do we conduct ourselves accordingly in a world that's over-sexualized and greedy? It's going to come from living according to the example of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, when you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go back and see what it's there for, right? So we can get some context and see what's going on. So we go back to chapter 4, verse 32, the verse preceding this. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, since God in Christ forgave you, be imitators of God as beloved children. Romans 6 says, not only has God forgiven us, but he's also set us free from the bondage of sin. Therefore, we're forgiven and set free. Therefore, since you've been forgiven of your sins and set free from your sins, go therefore and live like God as his beloved children. Now, does anyone feel like that's kind of a hard standard to live up to? Right? Paul just says, hey, just be like God. It's like, oh, well, okay. That's kind of a big a big thing for us to live up to, but he even modifies it. He gives us some help. He says, as beloved children. As beloved children of the Most High God, in Ephesians 1 verse 4, we see that we've been chosen as children before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. 
holy and blameless, things we cannot do on our own, things that are given to us by Jesus. When you say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, that you died the death I deserve to die, that you lived the life that I couldn't live, and that you raised from the dead to defeat death, to defeat sin, now I am holy and blameless. He's given us a new title. We already are holy and blameless. But what he's telling us to do as beloved children of God, to go forth and live lives that are holy and blameless. First Peter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says it like this. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, okay? You used to be a part of a different family. You used to live differently. You used to listen to a different messaging, and it wasn't the messaging of the Father. But now, as obedient children, don't live the way you used to. Don't live the way you used to, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why are we called to live holy and blameless? Because we've been called and chosen by a holy and blameless God. How do we do this? Well, I think it comes from just listening, watching, observing. What is the Father like? What does the Father do? What does the Father want us to do? And then we do accordingly. I think if you look at your own life, this is the way it often works. Here's an example for you. My kids have recently started saying this. Hey, knock it off. Where do you think they learned that from? Yeah, my wife. They learned it from my wife. No, that's all me, okay? They've learned that from me. This guy says, hey, knock it off. So now when they don't like what their brother is saying, knock it off, hey, knock. You guys knock it off, right? Guess where I learned that from? My dad. Guess where he learned? He learned that from his dad. See, my dad watched his dad and observed his dad and then imitated his behavior. And then I watched my dad, observed my dad, and then imitated his behavior. And now my kids are watching their dad, observing their dad. And what are they doing? They're imitating his behavior. They're saying and doing the things they've seen their father say and do. When you think of it in terms like that, it's not all that difficult, really. What, what is God like? Be like that. How does God speak? Speak like that. What does God love? Love like that. How does God love? Love like that. He becomes the example for everything that we say and everything that we do. Be imitators of God as his beloved children. Secondly, he says this, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first thing he says is walk. Walk in love. Let love dictate your life. Love should be the bubble in which the Christian lives. Everything we do and say should proceed from a place of love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Again, how are we supposed to love? Christ is the example once more. In John 13, 34 and 35, we've got it up on the screens for you. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay, and then he gives us some help. He doesn't just give us an empty command of just go love each other. He says, here's the example. Just like I loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Parents, how are you supposed to love your kids? Like Jesus loves your kids. Husbands, how are you supposed to love your wife? Like Jesus loves your wife. Wives, how are you supposed to love your husband? Like Jesus loves you. We we can do this all day long. How should you love your coworkers? Just like Jesus loves your coworkers. How should you love your neighbors? Just like Jesus loves your neighbors. How should you love that guy or girl you cannot stand? Well, just like Jesus loves the guy or girl you cannot stand. He becomes the example for everything that we do. 
He's our model of love. And then it says that he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, that's kind of some weird verbiage. Um, you don't walk into someone's house normally and say like, the fragrant aroma is so pleasing. Like you just don't use those types of words. But when we look in the Old Testament in regard to sacrifice and offerings, which Jesus is alluding to, we've got it up on the screen for you. It's actually a quite normal type of speech. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, this is in regard to offerings and sacrifice. It's a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing Aroma, a food offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering with a pleasing aroma. And who do these go to? They go to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord, and to the Lord. So what is Jesus saying? Just like those offerings back in the Old Testament sent up a pleasing aroma to and pleased the Lord, in the same way my sacrifice on the cross pleased the Lord. So Jesus, in loving us, laid his life down. And then he says, go in love like I loved you, which requires us then to go and lay our life down. And if the laying of Christ's life down sent up a pleasing aroma to the Lord, then when I lay my life down for those who I love, what happens? Pleasing aroma. The Lord is pleased. How do we please God? We follow the example of Jesus. We lay our life down for those we love. It's the example he gives us for love. That's also the first tip that Paul gives us in how do we beat this whole system? How do we avoid the traps? How do we not get ensnared in the pitfalls of sexual sin and covetousness? The first is just, is like this, be a giver like Jesus. Because that's what we see. We see Jesus is a giver. If you want to be different, if you don't want to fall enslaved to the traps and everything else that Satan is setting up all over the world, be different. And it requires you to be a giver. First example set by Jesus is one of sacrifice and giving. The pattern of the world, however, we'll see is one of selfishness and sinful gain. That's the next point that we're going to look at. It's the pattern of the world. We saw last week some contrast. We saw the world lives this way, but the church ought to live this way. We see the same type of contrast this week where the world conducts themselves in a specific way. However, the church ought to live differently. And against the backdrop of the pattern of the world, like we saw last week, Christ and his church shines all the more brightly. Verse 3 says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Three things he names. The first, sexual immorality. Secondly, impurity. And thirdly, he says covetousness. Sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. Does that sound familiar? Porneia, like pornography. Um, the word refers to all different types and various kinds of sexual sin. It could refer to, but is not limited to prostitution, adultery, fornication, bestiality, homosexuality, pornography, incest, things like this, and so on and so forth. And Paul says they have no place in the life of believers. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. And if you remember the church in Corinth, they were pretty messed up. They kind of resembled the church in America. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this, flee from sexual immorality, run away. Don't go, flee, run away. This isn't the type of thing where when you tell your kid, hey, that's wet paint over there, don't touch it. And your kid goes, I'm not touching it. I'm not, but they're getting as close as they can. Right? Or you tell your kids growing up, hey, don't have sex till you're married. Don't do it. All right, I'm not having sex, but I'm getting close. I'm getting as close as I can. 
I drew that line right next to that, mom, dad. I, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm doing everything else except for that one thing you told me to not do. That's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, get as close as you can until you don't. He just says, flee, run away completely. It reminds me of that scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they come across that canyon and there's a cave and there's a beast. It's a fluffy white bunny, right? And the bunny just starts ravaging and destroying all the knights. And what do they start saying? Run away, run away, run away. It's the same message playing football in high school. When a punt would happen, it would fall short. All of our coaches and the teammates started saying, run away, run away, run away. That's what should be in our mind. That idea of flee, run away, run away. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Our bodies are not meant to be used for our own greedy and selfish gain. Our bodies are meant and to be used for the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. That's sexual immorality. The second thing he mentions is all impurity. All of it, not even a little bit of impurity, should be inside the life of a believer. I remember in high school, I heard a story um, of this group of high school girls and they were over for a sleepover at this girl's house and the, the young lady went to her dad and said, dad, hey, can we watch this movie? I said, what rated is it? What's, what's the rating? You know, it's rated R and there's a little bit of sex and there's a little bit of nudity in there and some foul language and a few people die, but it's not that bad. Like it's just, it's just like a little bit. There's not a lot. She's like, you're sure it's okay for you and your friends to watch? And she's like, all the girls say, yeah, it's fine. It's just a great movie. We can watch it. It's fine. Uh, he's just fine. You can go in the basement and watch the movie. Uh, meanwhile, dad goes upstairs because he's a nice dad and decides to make a big tray of brownies. We're like, what do the girls want? They're watching their movie. I'll bring him some brownies and be kind and be loving to him. So he brings down this delicious, just like steamy, gooey pile of brownies. They're delicious. Like, the, you know, the kind that are only burnt on the outside edges, but then straight goo in the middle. It's like that kind, the really, really good ones. And these girls just devour the brownies. Oh, Mr. Smith, those were so good. What did you put in them? Well, just the normal brownie mix. And also just a little bit of dog poop. <laughs> uh, what? It wasn't, no, it wasn't that much dog poop. It wasn't like completely and utterly d disgusting. It was just a little bit of impurity, right? It was just a very small amount that I added to. And we laugh about it and say that that didn't happen, by the way. That's just a fake story. Um, <laughs> we look at that and that sounds disgusting, doesn't it? What's the limit of dog poop you put in brownies before it's gross? Any and all. <laughs> Any amount. This is what he's talking about. Any amount, any or all impurity in your life has no place in the life of a believer. It's just like a little porn. And it's just, no, none. It doesn't belong there. We're just friends and we hook up every once in a while. We'll say, no, none. No impurity. Zero, zilch, nada. Any and all forms of impurity have no place in the life of a believer. Now, this is the place where we need to stop and figure out what this means practically, because for a long time, we've educated people, don't have sex until you're married. And that doesn't cut it with what Paul is saying, because Paul isn't just saying, just don't have the type of sex that makes a baby. He's saying any and all impurity has no place in the life of a believer. So outside the covenant of marriage, this includes, but again, is not limited to things like oral sex, uh, petting, sexting, 
phone sex, sending, receiving, nude images, the list could go on and on and on. Anything having to do with sexual things that you're partaking outside of the covenant of marriage is immorality and impurity. And I don't mean to scare you, but studies show that of 12-year-olds who possess a cell phone, 20% of them have received nude images from friends. Okay, so it's out there. We're not just making this stuff up. This stuff is rampant in a normal part of everyday life in the lives of so many. And what, what does Paul say? He says, all impurity, it, it should have no part in the life of a believer because it's completely improper among saints. That's the second thing. He lists all impurity. The third thing he lists is greed and covetousness. In the context of sexual sin, he might be talking about an insatiable desire for sex, how you always want more and always want more and always want more. Um, more broadly apply, applied, it could just be greed and coveting um, on a larger scale. What's coveting? It's, it's wanting something that's not yours. And I think I'm guilty of that. Anyone else guilty of greed? Don't leave me hanging, please. No, we all are. Greed is like a thing that comes naturally to us. It's one of the reasons God says we shouldn't covet is because it's something that comes naturally to us. Exodus 20, verse 17, one of the Ten Commandments, God tells the people, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, applied contextually to our life, because none of my neighbors have an ox or a donkey. If yours does, awesome. Maybe you live in carefree or something, which is pretty neat. Um, but for the rest of us, like, that's not, our neighbors don't have that stuff. Uh, his male servant or his female servant, his job, which has so many different people who work for him. Do you covet your neighbor's job? Like, I like my job, but if I could only have that guy's job, man, my life would be so much better. Or his ox or his donkey, maybe his ride, right? Like, your neighbor's got a much cooler car than you have. And if, man, if only you could have that car, then all of your problems and your worries would fade away. Or anything that is your neighbor's. Like, we're guilty of this. We want things that don't belong to us, and we covet things that aren't ours. Again, he's not saying... Um, desiring things is evil and you should never want to have anything in your entire life. Why? Because if something is good, it came from God. Remember that. If something is good, it means it came from God. And that good thing is supposed to lead us to him so we enjoy the thing, but more importantly, we enjoy the giver, which is God himself. The gift is neat, but the giver is what I'm really, really after. Greed lurks in our hearts. It's oftentimes unnoticed and many times we think nothing of it. Maybe it's crept up on, upon you as the summer has approached where you're thinking through summer vacations and well, the Smiths went on that thing last year and I, oh, man, if we could just go on a vacation like the Smiths did, then man, we would really have it going on and greed is right there inside of your heart. It's, it sinks its claws in as you check out the Amazon deal of the day just for funsies, just for fun. Like you'd, I'm not gonna buy everything, I just wanna see. Like, I don't want to, I just want to look and touch, not actually taste it. I just want to kind of look around. Uh, or maybe it's the evil on your shoulder that encouraged you to cheat on your taxes this year. Maybe you didn't, but the temptation was still there. That's greed. That's hunger for more. That's wanting more. That's saying, God, you've given me so much already, but it's not enough and I need more. Maybe it's greed that's deceiving you, that, that's got you thinking, if you didn't give so much to the church and to the ministry, then you could certainly have more for yourself. Or if you weren't such a generous tipper at a restaurant towards the person who worked their butt off to serve you, then you'd have more for yourself. 
Or I could help my friend because I know my friend is in need and, and a few bucks would go a really long way for them, but I could keep that and I could do something with it for myself. It's greed. When we look at our life and think about it, greed is all over the place. It's everywhere, and it's not just in the form of wanting things. It's sexual sin. Sexual sin. I'm, I'm seeking sexual thing, things. Why? To satisfy me. It's a selfish desire. It's greed. Covetousness in the pursuit of more seeks to satisfy me. It's a selfish desire. Greed is the exact opposite of the character of Christ. Jesus was a giver, but the world is greedy. We're called to give just as Jesus is a giver. It says it must not even be named among you. When people think of your name, when people see your face, what do they think of? Do they think of these things? Do they think of the idolatry? Do they think of the immorality? Do they think of the impurity? Or do they think of something else? Because Paul says they shouldn't even be named among us. And he says this is proper among saints. We'll visit that at the very end. Verse four, it says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which you're out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He gave us one list of three already, he's gonna give us another list of three, and it's this, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Filthiness, it refers to gossip, slander, cursing, insults, lying, verbal manipulation, um, sexual joking, anything. It refers to all of those filthy impurities that are a part of our lives, and Paul says, in the way that we speak, this should have nothing to do with our mouth. Secondly, the category he gives is foolish talk, the word foolish talk is the same root word where we get the word moron. Speaking like a moron. Someone whose mind is always in the gutter. Someone who's always just ready to share trash and filthy verbs and whatever. That's what that refers to is foolish talk. The third category, crude joking. Um, the word implies something being easily turned, like innuendo. Maybe you know a friend or maybe you are the person who hears something innocent and then quickly turns it into innuendo. Something that's totally safe and then what happens? Blah, 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 you make it sexual and it's dirty. It's, it's coarse joking. It should have no place in the lives of believers. James 3, verses 5 through 12. I know this is a longer passage, but we'll read it together. James 3, 5 through 12, up on the screen. It says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's why we need the Lord's help. I cannot be like God under my own power. I need God to help me do that. I cannot tame my tongue under my own power. I need God to help me do that. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or a grapefruit produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If we are children of God, should we be using our mouths to say the things a child of God has no place saying? By no means. It doesn't add up. The words Paul gives for it, he says they're out of place. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, they're completely out of place 
for a believer. And doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Maybe you've gone through a season where you're cursing more or you're saying more dirty sexual things. It just feels like something's wrong. Maybe you've gone through a period of your life where you just have this like insatiable desire for more stuff. I just, I'm greedy. It just feels wrong. I think of it this way. I often wake up with like the snack, snap, crackle, pop thing going on in my shoulders. Um, and then I got to like do all these crazy things to kind of get it all out. And it doesn't feel right. It hurts. Two years ago, I had surgery on my hip because something was wrong inside of my hip. Something was out of place. And then once we got it all fixed, man, did that feel good. And then the mornings when I wake up and my shoulders don't hurt, I'm like, this is what it feels like to be alive. Like, this is so, so good. We go through the stages of, of bringing things into our lives that have no place in the life of a believer. And then when those things are out again, we realize this is what it's supposed to be like. Everything is falling in place. Everything is lining up to how it's supposed to do and supposed to be. That's what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to a standard in which we are meant to live. It's the standard he requires his children to abide by. The first tip that Paul gave, Paul gave us to help avoid the pitfalls of sexual immorality and idolatry of stuff was to set our priority to be a giver just like Jesus. The second thing is like it. How do we beat the trap of covetousness? He says, be a thanksgiver. Those other things should have no place in our speech. What should? Thanksgiving, gratitude, thankfulness to God for things that he's already done. We've seen the personal example of Christ. We've seen the pattern of the world. And now verse six and seven, we see a prudent warning from Paul. That's the third point on your outline, a prudent warning from Paul. Verse five and six say, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and kingdom of Christ and God. Verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Pay attention to this. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul says this elsewhere too. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, he includes these in the same list, but even um, drags it on a bit longer. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, having to do with the sexual immorality and impurity. Idolatry, that's the same list we just saw in Ephesians, by the way. In addition to those things, the works of the flesh are sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a prudent warning from Paul. He's saying, hey, keep in mind, I'm telling you to not do these things. I'm saying just follow the example of Christ. And if you follow the example of Christ, you won't have a struggle with sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and all these filthy types of speech. Maybe you'll struggle still, but you will follow the example of Christ. And then he says, those who have lived their lives sold out to the things in which I've told you not to do, what happens to them? They do not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul isn't saying. Paul um, isn't saying, so you're a believer in Jesus and you know and love the Lord and last weekend you made a really poor decision and you got drunk and hooked up with someone who wasn't your spouse. You're going to hell now. It's not what he says. But he says the life that is completely described by those activities and those sins that have no place in the life of a child of God, if, if you're living in that space where you're professing Jesus but living a life of abundant sin, you really need to check your heart and find out if you're truly in the faith. We 
We've seen the personal example of Jesus compared it to the pattern of the world. We've seen a prudent warning from Paul. Now it's closed by examining proper Christian conduct. Proper Christian conduct. It's the last part of your outline. Verse three says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So what is proper? That's the question. What is proper conduct for those who are children of God? Well, if we take the negatives and spin them in the positives, it becomes um, clear very quickly. The first, proper Christian conduct for Christians, sexual purity. Sexual purity. Our aim is holiness and blamelessness in our sexuality. Why? Because God has called us to be holy and blameless. Therefore, we should pursue conduct that matches our calling. We should aspire to sexual purity. Secondly, we should pursue contentment. Contentment. Our aim cannot be the gifts. They have to be the giver. Thirdly, clean speech. Choose our words wisely and use them for thanksgiving and encouragement. The pattern of the world is sexual immorality, its covetousness, and its foul, dirty language. The model that we're given in Christ, purity. He's a giver. Used his speech wisely. Doesn't match the pattern of the world. So Christian, Child of God, where are you at this morning? Are you living by the personal example set for us by God, one of selfless giving and sacrificial love, or have you been caught in the snare of the devil and you're following the pattern of the world, seeking your own selfish gain and satisfying your greed? If that's you, repent this morning and turn back to Jesus and follow his example once more. Maybe you feel like you've wandered too far off. You have not wandered too far off. He pursues your heart this morning and calls you back into right relationship with him once more. Or maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're pursuing satisfaction through things like sex and possessions. More sex is not the solution to satisfy the desires and longings of your soul. The answer is Jesus. Would you turn to Jesus this morning? More stuff and possessions is not the solution to satisfy the deep cravings and longings and desires of your soul. The answer is Jesus. Would you turn to Jesus this morning? We're gonna close this morning by taking communion together. So I'd invite those who are serving us to come forward. You can grab your plates and go ahead and pass out those cups to the church. I'd remind you that communion does three things. Firstly, it gives us an opportunity to look back we look back and see what Christ has done on our behalf, that he lived the perfect life that we were not able to live, that he died the death we deserve to die, and that he rose from the dead to defeat our sin and defeat our death so we could have life with him. Secondly, it gives us an opportunity to look inward and examine our hearts. This morning, I'd encourage you to examine your heart with the content of what we've been talking about. Does your behavior match the child of God that he's called you to be, or does your behavior match the world? If it matches the world, I'd ask you this morning, confess those sins to the Lord, repent, and turn back to him. And then thirdly, communion gives us an opportunity to look forward because Christ will return again someday and our heavenly father will call his children to be home with him again. So do those three things. I'll come back in a few moments and lead us through communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he was in an upper room with his apostles and during a meal, he stopped, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me?
He also stopped, he took the cup and he raised it and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, would you do it in remembrance of me? I'd like to remind you, if you're struggling through something this morning in regard to anything going on in life or even the topic of this morning's um, sermon, our prayer team is gonna be up here after the service. We'd love to pray for you, lead you through something. We're here for you, let me pray. God, you've given us a high standard to live up to. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and the example that he has provided us. God, we ask for the help of your spirit in doing the things you've called us to do. God, we know we cannot do them on our own. We can't control our tongue on our own. We can't control our conduct on our own. We ask for your help in doing those things. God, would we adopt your lifestyle to be the lifestyle for ourselves? And in doing so, would you help us glorify your son, Jesus? God, we're grateful for the sacrifice of your son who's made us holy and blameless. God, would you help us live accordingly that we would pursue things that are holy and pursue things that are blameless by the power of the spirit for the glory of the son. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you're doing in our life. We pray this in all uh, together in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. 